Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, how's it going? It's good. Episode 77. 77, that's right. It's going to be a very punk rock episode. What? Why is that? Because like 77 is a punk rock thing. Oh, all right. Like, There's a band called Blank 77 and like there's an exploited record you know, called Apocalypse 77. Like Putting 77 at the end of something, you know, oh, these guys are real. These guys are for real hardcore punks. What does it mean though? I, I guess it's, uh, you know what, I'm going to, this is going to, I didn't expect to be grilled on this because I honestly don't know. Well, maybe is it the year that punk burst onto the scene? I guess, uh, I, I assume it has something to do with that, but there's probably some very specific reason, you know, and some mm-hmm. like diehard subhumans fan is going to write in and tell me that I'm an idiot and I don't know anything about punk rock. Uh, oh, we started off on the wrong foot. Yeah, yeah. I, you shot all, you shot all my confidence down. I'm sorry, David. Um... But, uh, all right, well, I didn't expect to go. You know what? Let's just end this episode. I'm done. <laughs> Thanks for listening, enough. guys. Yeah, catch you next week. Um, but uh, So what's been going on with you lately, David? You know, I was about to say something, and I oh, don't I'm sorry. what it was. What's been going on with me? I don't know. I'm, I'm apartment hunting. Yeah, that's uh, right. Getting out there, striking out on my own. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I used that term recently to um, uh, a friend of mine. I was like, uh, yeah, I can't wait to get out there, you know, and, and I said, and strike out on my own. And he, his interpretation of that phrase was, was, was weird, but was also a baseball fitting. interpretation? What he was thinking is I was going to be going to bars and trying to get girls' numbers <laughs> and striking out on my own. As opposed to with Teresa's help. Or with a wingman, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but the thing is, I didn't, I didn't dispute. I didn't say, no, that's not what I meant, because that will happen, too, very soon. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'll be, be getting rejected very soon as well. No, you'll be, you'll be fine. You'll be out there. You're going to be like, this is why you need to do what I did. Make yourself some Battleship Pretension cards. Be like, hello, I'm, t- I'm David Banks of Battleship Pretension. They'll be on you like, uh, like flies on something dead. <sighs> what? I don't like that metaphor. Oh, <laughs> that's true. Sorry. Um, flies on something, isn't it? Isn't it flies on something? Uh, isn't it like it's like flies on shit or something like oh, that? Oh, okay. I like mine better. I like dead things more than shit. Um, I think maybe they'll be I mean, like white on rice. White on rice. That's okay. a nice. Okay. You know. I got gotcha. Ugh. So, uh, listeners, as you can tell, we do not have anything to talk about at the top of the episode. Uh, except and for this. We're both completely full of shitty diner food <laughs> i didn't care for that to be honest the more I, distance i get from the meal everything everything was so dry yeah um i don't want to say the name of the establishment why because they're struggling they're doing fine no, yeah it's norms there's norms plenty of norms doing fine around the city here and uh i had never been to one before tyler mm. tyler would not shut up about how great norms oh, was. i couldn't stop uh, he was singing their praises yeah the conversation basically went Hey, Tyler, what is there to eat around here? I'm like, uh, I don't know, Norm's? That's basically the uh, conversation. That's how we decided uh, the place. This is the first place I mentioned. But, uh, and, uh, yeah, I do uh, not recommend a Norm's breakfast. Yeah, I guess it, maybe I'll, if I go back, I'll get a, I'll get a sandwich or yeah. something. I had the steak, and it was, uh, it was actually quite good. But, uh, and we were, like, literally practically within sight of a Denny's. And if you know me, which you do, Tyler. Yes. I like Denny's. And I don't get it. <laughs> Denny's, I love, as you know, I love crappy diner food. Uh, you know, and, and when, you, when you eat enough of it, you, can, you know it's like, oh, the best place to go for hash browns. Listeners, pay attention. Best place to go for hash browns, IHOP. The best of those kind of. The best of those types of places, yes, yeah. absolutely. Certainly, if you want, I mean, you can go to a, uh, a more 
a, a non-franchised right, like right. mom and pop type of diner and right. get some delicious food. Yeah, the best breakfast I've ever had is uh, the uh, the restaurant in the Springfield, Missouri airport. That's actually true. So um, <laughs> anyway, I've heard uh, good things about the uh, the Burbank airport. Oh, it's a wonderful airport. But I mean, yeah, I'm sure the airport. But I've I've heard the eating. It's a good place to eat breakfast. Uh, Jen and I, every time we go there, which has only been a, a few times, uh, because it's so close to us, we don't go there with time to spare. We just it's like oh whatever, freaking we'll get there, no big deal. It's like a ten yeah. minute drive. It's wonderful. It yeah. Costs a lot much. It costs a lot more to fly out of there, but it's wonderful. But I will a lot much try. money. It costs a lot. A lot, mu- <laughs> a lot much money. See now we're <laughs> back into the uh, yeah. Eastern European voice that I'm very bad at. But um, but yeah, so uh, but I've got good news for you, David. Okay, I, I could use some. Okay, this will cheer you up because it cheered me up. All right. Now, listeners know, I mean, this is from way back from like episode like two, two? or three. Yeah. Where uh, we were talking about. The, oh, did uh, I just give away that I know what we're talking about? <laughs> you said you were going to give me some good news. I know what Tyler's going to say. He knows what I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> this is not very spontaneous. Um, but uh, we were talking about we we're, you know. Bummed out about the state of modern comedy because uh, modern film comedy, modern film comedy. Thank you. Plenty uh, of live comedy, in, live in, comedy, uh, a lot of good TV in, comedy. In your city, you can go and and see some live comedy. I'm sure you think you so. I've I've looked up, you know, because as you know, uh, I try and keep a lookout for uh, like friends and relatives who live in midwestern cities to see if any good stand-ups are coming through their cities. Not many. No, I think you're just looking to see if there are any. L.A. stand-ups. There's probably plenty of local talent in, in or Chicago. Or stand-ups whose names I've heard, at least, right. from other, you know. What I'm saying is there are probably, pl- in Chicago, there are probably plenty of local guys that are great oh, yes, that we just yes. don't know about. That's true. That's true. But uh, but at the same time, I was looking at a uh, comedy club in Denver, and because uh, my brother lives out there, uh-huh. and uh, and I was like, okay, I'm going to find I'm gonna find some good comedy in Denver. And uh, most of the most of uh, Denver stand-up comedy is just local guys, and uh, many of them have websites. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to give this a look. And uh, so I looked at like three or four websites of the guys that regularly come through this comedy club in Denver. No? B- oh, bad stuff. It's, ju- it's the kind of thing where you're like, oh, this is... Mm. What's the comedy club in Denver called? Oh. Because I know what I would call it if I had a comedy club in Denver. What would you call it? Smile High. <laughs> but that would be inv- I mean comedy clubs have ridiculous names they do like that the funny bone and yeah. zanies and all that kind of thing yeah but g- smile high is pretty good yeah that's that's pretty yeah smile high alright <laughs> but uh, oh my gosh so we've gotten off topic already yeah film film comedy you're talking fil- about yeah film comedy not too great uh, especially because um, the uh, the two directors uh I don't remember which one is Aaron and which one is Jason, but it's Seltzer and Friedberg, uh, the directors of Date Movie, Epic Movie, uh, Meet the Spartans, and most recently, Disaster Movie. Right. Um, Now, of those comedies, um, Disaster Movie uh, is the highest praised. uh, Wait, what? Yeah, I mean, because, like, The Onion gave Fs to all the other ones. Oh, okay. disaster movie. No, what about superhero movie? You didn't mention that one. No, they weren't behind that. Oh, okay. Yeah, superhero movie were from the same makers as Scary Movie. Okay, so but superhero movie, superhero movie, still not good. I'm still told. not good. Yes, I'm told. I but I, it. but I've heard it's actually not as bad as these other movie movies. Um, 
Okay. But uh, but disaster movie actually got like a like a D in the onion, and that those are guys who are they want to give these movies Fs, and it got like a C plus in Entertainment Weekly. Not that that means much, but uh, but nonetheless, it still looked horrible, and I'm sure it is. And if you watch, the, if you what's fun to do is go to the IMDb page for disaster movie, look up the memorable quotes, uh, because. It will, because it, you know how sometimes it'll just have the quote, and then in parentheses will have something that happens. You uh-huh. know? Nobody's saying anything, and so like it'll say like it says, "Oh, here's Iron Man," and he's saying, "I am Iron Man," and then he is crushed by a cow, or something like that. And uh, like all the memorable quotes uh, is somebody saying something, usually just a phrase of who they are or where they are, and then something falls on them, or something, or they get hit by a car. Or something like that. Just not the most intelligent comedy. But the good news, David. Because Date Movie, Epic Movie, and Meet the Spartans, every, every one of those, when they opened, they opened at number one. And, may, and these movies are made cheaply. So they make lots and lots of money. Disaster Movie, I'm happy to announce, uh, opened at number seven or eight. I don't remember which of those two. That is good news. It is good news. Because maybe, finally, uh, the studio will stop paying these guys to make to make movies and I you know upon moving out here um, you know I, I, I try to keep I try to keep certain things in perspective that like you know if you if you're able to make a movie and if a studio if the studio is like heavily involved you may not be able to make the movie that you want to make and you know I just I try and not be as insulting as I as I was when I didn't live here because right. you know now I'm just one more person out here who's trying to make it and um but i will say that uh the guys the these guys seltzer and friedberg they just need to knock it off they need to stop they're not my kind of guys these guys these are not my kind of guys but uh yeah and so i'm so i'm very excited that the public has finally said you know what no we're not doing this again we fool us three times uh Shame on you. Shame us. Uh, fool us four times. Shame on us. And they're not going to be fooled a fourth time. So I'm very excited. Uh, you know, things are looking up as far as film comedy, I guess. I hope so. I yeah. hope so. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen any of the big comedies. I saw the only, like, summer comedy I saw was Zohan, and I liked it. But I didn't see Baby Mama. I didn't see Forgetting yeah. Sarah Marshall. I did see that one. I didn't see Step Brothers, so I'm going to go see Step Brothers. Um sure. I didn't see Tropic Thunder or Pineapple Express. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really want to. I saw Tropic Thunder and I saw Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and uh, I wrote a, I wrote a blog about see, Tropic Thunder on. It's on the website. Your um, your reaction to being in Los Angeles, yeah. being easier on movies. Uh, my reaction has, bec- has to become more of like an indie film snob. I just like yeah. working because I worked on a couple movies and it's just like, ah, ah, there's no art taking place here, yeah. <laughs> like. So, uh, yeah, I, I see fewer and fewer like big studio movies, and uh, I don't. I never made the. I never made like a decision to do that. I just find myself being drawn more, drawn mm-hmm. away from them more. That's interesting because you know, because I, I haven't worked on any on any movies, so of course I you know I I don't have that experience. But just even in the even in like little five minute short stuff that I that I've made, like stuff that where like oh i'm very passionate about this line or whatever um i've found like any kind of art w- breaks down when you're like it's like okay here's the shot list and okay let cut and then okay let's 
let's be sure to unplug this refrigerator so it doesn't make any noise. Like just like if you were to just be a part of that process, you'd be like, oh, this is art. This is how it works. Uh-huh. It doesn't seem very artistic to me, you know. So you, I feel like, you know, you might be able to say that yeah. for any for being on set for any kind of uh, any kind of film uh, indie or not. But for now, uh, I'm only watching Maya Deren movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, <coughs> it's a little too inside, David. But um, all right, so we've been going. Oh, I don't know how long we've been going, David. Yeah, I gotta, uh, I gotta fix change this it up, thing. David. Come on. Well, don't stop talking while I do it. All right, I'm going to continue talking. Oh, there oh okay. Uh, All right. What else has happened to movies? Here's something we d- I didn't mention last week. Okay. Um, but that is important to me, of course, as a as a Harry Potter fan. We even talked about Harry Potter last week. Um, but it uh, yep. it got um the, the sixth film got got bumped into yeah. like well into next summer it was supposed to come yeah. out in november that bums me out why do you think i uh, i haven't really read a lot about it why do you think it it happened well they say that it happened because uh like the like the whatever studio was releasing it like had like an like an, a nice open slot in the summer okay. like they just they looked at i think like one movie wasn't going to be ready and so like uh they're like oh we've got uh oh! Now we don't have anything to compete with our, you know, with the other studios. So they they're like, well, Harry Potter always does well, so let's put it in there. And that to me bothers me because it, you know there uh, there have been other Harry Potter movies that have been that have opened during the summer, but I always like it when they open in the fall, um, just because it's you know during the fall you get kind of the Oscar it's Oscar movie season and and, and especially uh, the Harry Potter movies take place over the course of a school year. The one yeah. time of the year they don't take place is in summer. That's tr- that's like, true. There's always a lot of snow on the ground and stuff in Harry Potter movies. You know, there's always like Christmas yeah. sequences happening. So it does. It feels more right in the fall. The the one one of the uh, reasonings that I heard, which I don't really, I'm not an accountant. I don't know how all this works, but basically. Warner Brothers made a lot of money off The Dark Knight, and they yeah. didn't have anything, like any sure things for 2009, and they mm-hmm. wanted to, I guess, maybe uh, boost their income for 2009. But mm-hmm. to me, it's like, if you make if you make a lot of money, you know, in 2008, then you'll have yeah. a lot of money in 2009. But I don't, I don't know how that all works. Yeah, I mean, uh, either way, I mean, I'm bummed out about it. You know, And it, as odd as it may sound, um, like during the fall and, and winter in, uh, in L.A., it does get significantly colder i mean it's uh you know it's not chicago or denver or anything like that but it does get chilly i mean it can get down to like you know 40s 50s you know you gotta it's there's a night it's an, it, there's a nice chill in the air and sure. i feel like when i'm when i leave a harry potter movie i don't want it i don't want to walk out into like 100 degree heat yeah you know it's that doesn't <laughs> appeal to me just be like oh now i'm sweating what like i just it feels like like an autumnal uh movie or you know a very cold type series i don't know but that m- i might just be thinking of that well, because that's the all the first one two, two and four came out in the fall in the fall uh and then three, three and came five out, came out in summer right three came out in the spring oh okay and then uh five came out yeah i think in july but uh yeah and uh at the very least i'm bummed out that i have to wait many many more months you know to to see it like yeah as opposed to three you know, now it's now I'm bummed out that it's like, oh, well, that little teaser, I guess, is all I'm going to get for almost a year, yeah. which is crazy. So now all I got to look forward to is Valkyrie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm bummed out because now freaking 
Are you bummed out? Because I don't know if you've stayed. Today. Sorry, I, <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of my. Uh, I guess not really a transitional phrase because I'm continuing uh, what I'm going to say. But like, how how much longer are they going to stretch out this franchise? I know it's because the seventh one, one is going to be two movies. Yeah, I mean, is it going to is there going to be one Which, in two thousand nine, ten, and then eleven? Because I think at that point, people may lose interest on principle. That it's like, <laughs> okay, you're asking a bit much of me. But, you know, um, that brings me to another thing we can talk about before we get to the topic. I don't mm. have anything for the topic uh, <laughs> today. <laughs> I'd, it's all just w- in your head. With everything, well, with everything that's going on in my life, I sort of didn't stop to make a list. Oh, all right. This is going to be a listless episode. Of <laughs> it sure will be. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, this splitting movies up. I mean, we had the Kill Bill things, yeah. and then I guess there's talk of the same thing being done with Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Um, the Hobbit movie is going to be two movies. Oh, all right. Now Harry Potter 7. Um, does it seem like maybe with... Uh, it, over the past few years, we, we've been in what uh, many has, have rightly referred to as like a second golden age of television. Mm-hmm. And do you think that the television model of viewing is informing the way people are wanting to see movies? Like people are going to be okay with splitting something up the way you would, you know, you have to... It's like a two-part episode of a TV show. You know, there's a cliffhanger and you <coughs> wait for a week with a movie. Do, do you think that's why this is more acceptable now? As, as opposed to just cutting the shit out of The Hobbit and making a two-and-a-half-hour, one-two-and-a-half-hour movie, audiences are going to be more willing to endure the wait because we've become uh, so accustomed. Because TV is so good and and, and we we watch so much TV that we're accustomed to it. And uh, TV has become more serialized as well. With, very much so. With DVDs and, and, and DVRs and stuff, that kind of stuff can happen. And a lot of the a lot of the uh, TV shows. This would be an interesting question to ask Paul Goebel uh, when we have him on sometime in the near in the near future. But uh, you know, I th- I think a lot of the popular shows right now, the, a season will end on a cliffhanger. You know. Yeah. Um, and so not not even like. Like, oh, there's a two-part episode or something like that, so you have to wait a week to see. But, like, you know, you'll go months and months before you find out, oh, what happened, you know, what's going to happen on Lost or something. Yeah, where's Lost the island? Especially. Yeah, where's... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is an interesting <laughs> question to ask if you haven't... So, spoilers, I guess. Uh, oh, by this point. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, anything that's that much of a cultural phenomenon, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, if someone... I, I like, with it, like with Harry Potter 7, when the book came out, Deathly yeah. Hallows, you know, I say give it a month. Yeah, that's you know, true. Give people because you know it's, some people read slower than others. You know, yeah. or uh, give it a month and then you can talk about it because people should anyone who cared that much should have seen it by now should have read it by now. And that's the same that's way true. I feel about Lost has been it's been over. Uh, you can watch them online. Yeah, uh, it hasn't come out on DVD yet, so there is that. But uh, but yeah, you can watch everything online. Oh, now I feel bad. Oh, it's all right. But. Uh, but yeah, I feel like maybe because we've been conditioned that like if we're watching a dramatic thing, it's like eh, you'll find out what happens in a few months. I feel like people might be more willing to just be like, "All right, well, I'll find out what I'll find out what happens at the end of uh, this Harry Potter movie in about uh, well a year. A year's a long time to wait, but that's fine." Um, yeah. But I think it also might be because you have to think in terms of like, well, who? Well, what are the movies that are doing this? That are doing it like. The Hobbit has such a huge legion of fans mm-hmm. that it they would get more, you know, p- 
people would be more furious if they cut the hell out of it, as you said. Right. As opposed same, to... Same with Harry Potter. Know, yeah, with Harry Potter. And then, of course, Tarantino just does whatever the hell he wants anyway. And I But again, he's Tarantino. He has enough fans. Yeah, yeah. But as you were just saying, if like... If they had done this with like rendition or something, <laughs> <laughs> people might not have. Not that anyone like really stood for rendition anyway. I don't think it did that well, did it? No, I don't think so. But, uh, but yeah, and I think, and I think, from a studio mentality, you know, when it's something big like The Hobbit, which is a you know continuation or you know prequel technically of uh, Lord of the Rings, which financially did wonderfully, and people were willing to sit through it and then just keep, you know keep coming back. I think the studio is like, oh, you, you, I'm sorry, you want to split something up? Done. You do yeah. what you got to do. Yeah, you know, you get two massive revenues. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, but that would be, you know, I, I would be interested in, in talking to uh, somebody else about that because it's something I never thought of just because TV is so, as odd as it, it's a weird phrase to say, but TV is so big right now. TV's always been big, but as you say, like, there's so much great stuff on, and so yeah. much of it is serialized. There's not a lot of shows that are, have like a self, con, you know, where each episode is self-contained. I mean, there's yeah. usually an ongoing story, even in you know some comedies. It's amazing to me when I go back and watch episodes of like Little House on the Prairie because those, like, those are always the like you don't have to have seen any episode of Little House on the Prairie, yeah, and you can you can enjoy any episode of Little House on the Prairie because they're they're like little short stories. Yeah, I mean that's you know it's one of the things that I've always liked about Law and Order, but to me, I mean just something like The Wire, or Deadwood, or Sopranos. By the you know if you're willing to put in the time, which of course it's good enough to inspire that in you, that yeah. like by the end you're so much more fulfilled than Law and Order, which you can drop in and out and you don't really care. But uh, yeah, so we need to do an we need to do an episode on The Wire someday. I could talk for an entire hour about yeah, it. We're a movie podcast. That's all right. Okay. We're running out, David. We got to <laughs> we gotta start. You well, know. speaking of Deadwood, you know, that fight in season three between <laughs> Doherty and uh, Hearst Henchman, you know, it, it was great, but it it's so graphic. Yeah. I don't know that I ever want to watch it again. Never want to watch it again. I thought you liked it, David. I love it. Then why won't you want to watch it constantly at least once a day? Well, let's get into that, shall we? All right. Um <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, so, yeah, last week we talked about uh, movies that are just inherently rewatchable, even if they're movies that we don't care for that much. Uh, movies like The Departed, which, you know, y- neither you nor I really, really loved it as much as some people, but it's one that I want to buy because I yeah. want to keep, I want to watch it often. Uh-huh. Um, whereas my two favorite movies my first and second favorite movie of 2006, The Year of the Departed, uh, which are United 93 and Proposition, I own both of them. I haven't watched them that much, United 93 especially. I never saw The Proposition, but United 93 is the perfect example. Yeah. That was, uh, it was harrowing and inspiring and just yeah. moving and just so, uh, so well made. Yeah. That it, Yeah, it's one of the best movies of that year, but yeah. I don't see myself watching it again anytime soon. Yeah, uh, I was uh, I was at a stand-up show uh, last night, and uh, comedian Jackie Cation was talking about how she doesn't care for horror movies because she said the better they the better they're made, the less likely I am to enjoy them. And it's you know, <laughs> and it's the same with with a lot of the movies on my list. Is the more 
effective they are at achieving the goals that they set out for themselves, like United 93, the more for lack of a better word, unpleasant it's going to be to watch it. You know, United 93 is a wonderful film. I love it. It's, it, you know, it touched me emotionally, but I never felt manipulated by it. That's, but, you know, it's done almost like a documentary, and as such, you feel like you're watching real people going through this terrible tragedy. And uh, it's a movie that I own, and I'll probably watch it, you know, a few more times in my life, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, as I've said, there are some movies that I own on principle and that's one of them. And, uh, yeah, a lot of the movies for me are, are going to be like this, like movies that really disturbed me. Yeah. You know that, and, uh, what were you going to say? Them? Well, I have to imagine that one of the movies on your top 10 funny games is not one that you're going to be returning to very often. Yeah. It's a, it's a rough one. I've, I've seen it twice. And the second time I, Kind of didn't want to go, <laughs> but yeah. Or no, I've seen it three times. Okay. Yeah, and the third time, uh, it was the third time when I saw it at uh, at you LACMA. Saw it, yeah, here. you saw it on the big screen. Yeah, I'd, I've seen it uh, on I've seen it on big screens twice, but only once pro- projected from film. The okay. first time was at Loyola University, and it was projected from DVD. Projected from DVD. Okay. Um, but yeah, this is a thirty-five millimeter print at LACMA, and uh, yeah, it was just as. <laughs> harrowing but again it, I, I wonder these movies that i am uh, maybe i'm just being kind of a pussy because once i get into it then i'm into the movie again oh yeah you know and another one that's definitely on my list uh it's probably at the top of my list uh is henry portrait of a serial killer oh. which is that's uh hands down the most disturbing film i've ever seen okay and it's fantastic it's so great and I did bring myself to watch it a second time once, and the same thing happened. Like, yeah. I wasn't like, I wasn't like, oh no, I don't want to see the, you know, the eyeball stabbing or whatever that's coming up, you know, or the, I, you know what, eyeball stabbing is low, low, low yeah, on the list yeah. of things. There are things in the movie that I don't want to actually verbalize that happen, so because yeah. it'll upset me too much. Uh, but I, I wasn't thinking like, oh no, I, I don't want to see that coming up. I just got into the movie again and watched, yeah. it, and it disturbed me again. But I wasn't like. Uh, I wasn't dreading what was to come because I just fell into it. So I think uh, maybe I'm just being a wuss with the, with these with these movies, <laughs> you know. Well, I think it's just, you know, it's it's kind of interesting because there have been. I feel like I I imagine it's happened with you. I'm sure it's happened with the majority of our listeners, um, where somebody who doesn't love film as much as as we do will say like, you know, can't you just relax? You know, don't you ever just throw a movie in for entertainment? And the answer is yes, I absolutely do. It's just, you know, what entertains me is a little different. You yeah. know, some people may not throw in Master and Commander for entertainment, you know, but yeah. I do. That, to me, even though it has an interesting debate going in and all that, it is not difficult to watch. It's not work, even though it might be for some people. But, like, you know, there are movies that are just as good, and they might be some of my favorite movies. They, yeah. are, they are work. My uh, yeah, my my dad never understood why I bought a copy of Barfly because he was <laughs> like, "The movie's so depressing. Why, why yeah. would you want to watch that again?" You know. Yeah. But yeah, it's. Uh, and to me, you know, the stuff that I find like looking at my at my list here, uh, stuff that uh, movies that really, excuse me, uh, movies that really like approximate reality as i was saying like i love david mamet you know and so i love glengarry glen ross and that does approximate reality but it's still 
the dialogue is a little bit stylized and the characters yeah. are so interesting that it's just like, oh, okay. Whereas something like The Squid and the Whale, did you see it? I've never seen oh, it. Oh, man. Like, I'd say something, uh, here's what fascinates me. I am amazed that the uh, that the American office is as successful as it is because it's it's humor based on discomfort uh-huh. and and awkward situations and people not, and as awkward as it is the British one is so much worse uh, on in that respect but uh, but like you know it's it you're laughing but you're also like just cringing and I'm like and I I love it and but I'm like why am I and and every you know millions of people across the country why am i returning to this week after week uh-huh. this is this is hard i'm laughing but this is difficult for me to watch you know and i'd say something you know, like i think a lot of people maybe aren't as empathetic as you and i are well that's 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 enti- well yeah you know what maybe they're laughing at the at these people like, yeah that's ah, what i'm what afraid of but uh but something like you know uh the squid and the whale and i'd say roger dodger where characters they just go they just do something like in roger dodger like that character, he has a lot of moments where it's it feels like a play. It feels like Glengarry Glen Ross or something like that, where he gives these little speeches and has these cool little lines. But there will also be moments. Oh, okay. But there will also be moments when. Uh, sorry, we were checking our levels and. Uh, <laughs> hang on. Okay, there we go. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I had to make sure the mics were on. So, uh, but like you know, Roger played wonderfully by Campbell Scott. Um, he will say these crazy things, but he will also just go through these incredibly humiliating uh, situations, and he'll put himself in them. And and that's and that once again, the better Campbell Scott is at inhabiting this character, the more awkward and the more like, ugh, more the more difficult it is to watch because you're like, oh, this is not pleasant. I go through enough of this embarrassing awkward crap in my life why would i want to watch somebody else you know but these are movies that i absolutely love but i just i can't return to them because i have a hard time as you say i you know i'm somewhat empathetic and when somebody is doing something embarrassing or some or they're caught doing something bad uh i just can't uh, it's almost unbearable to me well that yeah i you know what's unbearable to me again this comes back to my being a very empathetic i'm a very sweet guy you, know? you are. You are. You're so sensitive. Ladies, pay attention. <laughs> um, like anything that's sort of like, uh, well, I I don't think as funny as it is, I don't think I could watch Borat Borat again. Hmm. And uh, I have trouble watching the LEG show more than once. Yeah. Because these poor people, even if they're assholes, uh, well, yeah. them them being assholes kind of takes some yeah. of the edge off of it. But if, especially if they're not assholes, if they just don't know what's going on. Yeah. Oh, I hate it. It makes me yeah. feel so uncomfortable. I feel so bad yeah. for those people. Uh, you know, because I'm always the guy, because I have friends who will do that. Like, yeah. I'll be, be with some people and they'll be like, I don't know, making up some story. And I'm, uh, I let it go for like five seconds and I'm like, no, he's just kidding. <laughs> That's not true. Because I, I just hate, because you know what? And when I was a kid, people played little jokes on me all the time because I was a big loser. Yeah. And I was a nerd and... I feel so sorry for anyone who's just like having the wool pull over, pulled over their eyes. So I, uh, yeah, Borat, 
he Borat usually picks targets that kind of deserve it. Yeah. So that's but uh yeah, usually of, but there are a few people in that movie like when he's at the dinner party and he comments Oh yeah. You know, he's like he's like, "Oh, in my country they'd go crazy for this one." He's like, "Not so much this one." It's like, "This woman invited you into her home. She's done nothing to you. Like yeah. she's not an asshole." Yeah. In fact, she's actually quite nice. You know, they ha- the, everybody at that table shows remarkable restraint and patience with this odd guy and <clears throat> We're meant to just laugh. At, like, he just straight up, usually he lets the the people hang themselves. But this one, he's just insulting this woman. And yeah. that one, that part especially, I'm just like, uh, you, okay, you lost me there. You know, it is, I laughed at it. Yeah, you laughed. It is funny, but, but yeah, at the same know. time, I feel bad. But, um. Try, you know what, I want to get back, you mentioned Roger Dodger. Roger Dodger, okay. I don't have so much of the problem, but it reminded me of another movie that I've only seen once and probably will only see once, and that's In the Company of Men. Oh. Neil Butte movies are often yeah. uh, hard to return to because they're all about people being really, really cruel to one another. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, I guess there are exceptions, Nurse Betty, and but even Nurse Betty, honestly, it's got that scene with Aaron Eckhart where something bad happens to him. Yeah, and that is, but that's uh, not. I mean, that's yeah, that's something that brutal that happens to him. Yeah, but not like psychologically cruel. That's you know? true. That's true. Like, I mean, your friends and neighbors and in the company of men, I mean, those things are... The things that Jason Patrick sa- does and says to people and your friends and neighbors, but in the company of men is by far the harshest. Yeah. Because of how uh, helpless the sort of victim is. Yeah. You know, I guess her being... The fact that she's <coughs> she's deaf, right? She's deaf. She's yeah. deaf, yes. And maybe that's just like my PC bullshit, but like it's harder for me to see them taking advantage of and being mean to a deaf person. See... And actually, I'd say between the two, the one that's more difficult for me to watch is Your Friends and Neighbors because in In the Company of Men, Matt Malloy at least has a moment of has moments of conscience, and he yeah. has learned his lesson by the end. No such luck in Your Friends and Neighbors. Everybody, nobody really changes. If anything, they change for the worse. Yeah. Uh, and it's just... Ugh. Here's the thing, a little tangent. Okay. I've always really liked Your Friends and Neighbors. Yeah. But there's one thing that it does that a lot of movies do that I can't stand. Okay, what is that? It never says what city it's in. And, like, there, okay. are, there are no external shots in Your Friends and Neighbors. Everything's indoors the entire movie. All right. And I, I guess the implication uh, is supposed to be... Well, I get, well, the point is, like, this could be anywhere. This happens right. anywhere in America. But to me, it seems like, no, this only happens in this weird alternate universe where places don't have their own identity. Because to me... <laughs> Any city has its own identity. Yeah. And when you get, like, like The Wire, you talk about The Wire is a perfect example, you know? It's yeah. so Baltimore that it becomes identifiable to anyone else who lives in a city. Because yeah. Because they can, because there are things that are so St. Louis, you yeah. know? And you say, oh, they eat, you know, they eat crabs all the time in Baltimore, and it could just be like, uh, you know, Emo's Pizza or, like, Gooey Butter Cake or all the weird-ass things that yeah. St. Louisans eat, toasted raviolis. Yeah, St. Louis is a great food culture is what I'm trying to get to. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, anyway. and and I guess, like, and when you're having characters behave like that, like, I don't know, because one thing, it's like, oh, well, this certainly could never happen in a small town. Is he, is he saying that? Yeah. You know, because uh, I imagine there's not a lot of art museums. and I'm trying to think know. what are some other movies that never say what. Um. I can't think. I of guess the the Matrix does head. does that, but that's kind of different. It kind of works for the Matrix. Yeah, yeah, uh, but because uh, it's not supposed to be anywhere. But it just I hate it because to me, 
it's it's the, you know the reason one of the reasons that I love uh, the Mountain Goats so much mm-hmm. the the music the band the Mountain Goats yeah is because like in his lyrics he'll like name like streets and intersections and and like stuff that yeah. I don't have any idea where that is or what you know where that highway runs to or whatever but because he identifies the, these these characters he's creating in his songs yeah. Uh, identify with their place. I identify with that because that's the yeah. way how I, the way I live my life. You know, right. I, you know, I, I'm always referencing what street things are on and stuff like yeah. that. You know, that's anyone is. Yeah. And so it's crazy to me that uh, it's it's the big thing about your friends and neighbors that bothers me because hmm. uh, it doesn't need to be like that. People will identify with a movie even if it takes place in a city that they've never been to. You know, how many Americans who love City of God have been to Rio de Janeiro? You know. I have not. I've not been to really. Uh, <laughs> uh, I saw the Anthony Bourdain one where he went to Brazil. Obviously, so I, you I feel what? like I've, I've you got get it. You know, <laughs> yeah, I've pretty much between those two. I've pretty much been. There. Yeah, <laughs> you've seen the positives and the negatives. You know, but uh, yeah, and I guess I'll. Uh, you know, it's we mentioned Neil LeBute. I'll mention another filmmaker who. So we're it, done with the tangent. Okay, good. Well, th- but that's the thing. He specializes in the very movies that we're talking about. Right, but with the city tangent. Thing. But, oh, we're that, done with that, that tangent I'm done with, yes. Yeah. Uh, I've had enough. But anyway, so, um, but like, uh, but I kind of want to take another tangent, tangent and talk about, have you seen in, any ads for Lakeview Terrace? Speaking yeah, it's, of a, it's a Neil Butte film. Yeah. Which makes me, uh, I mean, I never saw the Wicker Man remake, which I no. hear is supposed to be awesome in, in how bad it is, yeah. but uh, I kind of want to see Lakeview Terrace. Yeah, I, I mean like was, I like Samuel Jackson. I like Patrick Wilson. Yeah, I don't remember who who the the woman is in the, the one. I've only seen one trailer, and she's in like two shots in the whole trailer. So I yeah. don't know. Yeah, they're really playing up Samuel Jackson's presence, but I mean, it really th- isn't it just kind of a remake of Unlawful Entry with Ray Liotta. <laughs> I never saw. Where it's like this entry. couple is like is terrorized by a cop, and because he's a cop, there's nothing they can do. But there's like this weird racial thing involved as well and i'm sure it'll be uh, I'm, I'm hoping that it'll be very very uncomfortable yeah I uh, i'm hoping Nilla butte will bring that but yeah. uh but it also looks really over the top in the in the trailer but maybe yeah. they're just picking the the craziest scenes but we, d- oh, we didn't talk about the shape of things which is another Nilla oh. butte film but oh. to me that one's rough too it is rough i mean that, that, that guy the uh i'll say spoiler alert but i probably won't talk about any um, yeah you know, Paul Rudd by that movie has had his heart torn asunder. Yeah. But to me, like, I put myself in his shoes and I'd be like, well, she kind of did good things for him. Yeah. And he'll probably be okay in the long run. And, yeah. And so I kind of, I guess I, identi- I identify with Paul Rudd in like a good way. Like, a, like yeah. oh, chin up, Paul Rudd. You'll, you'll be all right. Look, you know, you got the you got the nose job. You got the nice haircut and glasses. Yeah, yeah. You'll bag another lady and she won't be quite as cruel to you. Yeah. You know, it's so uh, that one doesn't bother. You, uh, in the company of men is the one Neil Butte film that I really don't think I'll ever be able to sit through again. Man, I for, I forgot about the shape of things because I don't care for Rachel Vice. It might be because of that. Really, even I love though she's her. not playing that character over and over again. Yeah. Like I think that you might really don't care for her as an actress. Not particularly. I she's she's a person that uh, you know I first saw her in like the Mummy movies. Yeah, and I thought she was gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, and then I saw her in other movies, and I realized, oh, she can act too. Now she's double gorgeous. Because I'm, I like her in the Constant Gardener. I think she's, she's somebody because she's British, right? Yeah. Okay. Is it about a boy? She's great in that. Yeah, I honestly, I think I have a problem with her American accent. She speaks it fine, 
but her voice does a weird thing where like she was in uh, like confidence and uh you know she's she's been american she was american in uh, the shape of things mm-hmm. and she just her voice sounds a lot more screechy and stuff huh. than uh, than it does when she's just doing her normal british accent this this reminds me though of this uh, uh attractive women who could also really get actresses okay. you know here's someone that i don't never really cared for is scarlett johansson okay and she's plenty of attractive and she yeah. does okay in certain roles you know but uh, she doesn't really do anything for me yeah now i really want to see this movie this cl- new claude chabrol movie uh a girl cut in two uh hmm. and it has occurred to me that ludivine sanier is to me everything that other film nerds think scarlett johansson is okay. she's you did you see Swim- swimming pool oh or? yeah yeah you know oh, so yeah she's a fucking knockout. Yeah. She, uh, I, I, I don't know. I feel weird. Like I have like uh, more PC bullshit. I feel weird just talking about how attractive a woman is, but I'm not yeah. saying it. Anyway, she's unbelievably gorgeous. Yeah. And then she could fucking act circles around Scarlett Johansson or any other, you know, any other 10 actresses in America. She's a fucking brilliant actress. Uh, and it, if American audiences could just, Wait till they get a hold of. <laughs> Wait till they get a look at at Ludivine Sanier, because yeah, she would uh, <coughs> knock Scarlett Johansson right out of the park. Yeah, and then of course she could, uh, you know, record an album of Nick Cave songs or something. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so have we ever talked about that on the show? The no, we have because you're a big Tom Waits fan. He's my favorite musician. That's right. And Scarlett Johansson is in movies. She, yes, this is a movie podcast. Yeah. So yeah, that that album is uh, fucking recalculous. It's oh jeez. <laughs> All right, y- we have to stop now because you just <laughs> said that. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because um, I've only listened to like iTunes samples. I'm not buying anything of that. But uh, and uh, the music is arranged really interestingly, and they do. It's kind of interesting because her voice doesn't sound awful but then i realized like they've kind of buried her voice in uh, production yeah and the uh, arrangements are very interesting and it's yeah. all but those scholars you ain't nothing to do with those it's right. uh, what's his name from tv on the radio right and it's one of those things where i'm i'm listening like you know if they got another singer this would really be great i'm like oh i don't think that's the point <laughs> i think uh, this yeah. is all about you know it's kind of a shame. Well, there's one thing you've learned from Tom Waits is that if you don't have a good voice, you should at least have an interesting voice. Uh, very much so. And Scarlett Johansson has neither. No, she. Uh, and that's the thing is, you think that her voice, you know, maybe as she gets older or something, she might be able to turn her voice into something kind of sultry, is which is what you would expect from her voice. Yeah. But it's just kind of flat. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, I mean, have you heard any of the speaking of singing actresses, uh, she and him, which is Zoe Deschanel and M Ward? Hmm. It's no. very good. And Zoe Deschanel, as we know from Elf, uh, can sing very well. Yeah, and it's and hers is a voice that ha- that is interesting. It's got some character to it. Yeah, I, you should listen to some She and Him. It's very good. Okay. Um, all right. Back to the topic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but was I, what I was saying about Neil Abute is he's a guy who specializes in making movies that are difficult to watch. And I'd say, um, just forgot his name, guy that made funny games. Michael Haneke. Michael Haneke. Thank you very much. He does um, the same. He does the same, but one of my favorite filmmakers is a guy who I can watch, uh, you know. Well, before you do it, okay. Before you move on from Michael Haneke, okay, okay. I want to talk about the difference between Michael Haneke and Neil Butte. Okay. Um, N- Neil Butte's themes are supposed to be 
more universal, I think. That okay. this is I mean, usually they're the people in his movies are, you know, somewhat well off, yeah. you know, or but they don't have to be. Right. It's not integral to the story. It's just yeah. about people being cruel to each other, usually men and women being cruel to one another. Yeah. Whereas Michael Haneke's he has a specific target in in the sort of the like bourgeois. Yeah. Like so I can I can distance myself a little bit more from it. Okay. Because I feel like well, I I haven't done anything to piss. I don't have enough money or a nice enough car <laughs> for Michael Haneke to be mad at me. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you can you can view it more as a cautionary tale as yeah. opposed to uh it's like okay, so I need to, you know, once I start driving around towing a boat behind me, that's yeah. when I need and listening and that, to that, classical And that's music. the biggest criticism of of Michael Haneke is that it's movies about people who are essentially being punished for living comfortably. Yeah, which, you know, you can make an argument for that. I myself uh, uh, am not, I'm not incredibly uh, well off, but I instinctively uh, am defensive uh, of the rich. Don't know why, but because uh, I just feel like they're demonized perhaps a bit too much. Um, but you uh, Republican. You know what? Yeah, it might You're be. You're one of those people who wants to get rid of the estate tax. Right, absolutely. Because I don't remember what it is, but I did get a. Well, good you, I'm from sorry. The West I, I should speak to uh, in Republican terms the death tax. The death tax. That's right. Well, hang on. Wait, with death, I'm going to die someday. I don't want to be taxed <laughs> yeah. on that. Okay, the death tax. That uh, I'm, uh, I'm oh, speaking in, in the estate tax. It, it it applies to such a tiny, tiny portion of the population who has a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Yeah. But the thing is, there are so many Americans who think that someday they're going to have that much money. Yeah, that they want to. It's and it's r- ridiculous. You're not going to have. The, I'm never going to have that much money. It doesn't bother me. I think I will someday. <laughs> um, but uh, if I just keep voting Republican, I think it's going to happen. Um, all right. So <laughs> I don't think if you're not already rich, <laughs> voting Republican is not going to make you any richer. Well, you know, my mom's pretty well off, and my dad's out of the picture. So once she kicks off, then uh, watch out. Um, all right. So that's awful. That's awful. My brother listens to this. I'm a terrible person. Yeah, and your brother's going to tell your mom about it, and then he's going to be the only one in the will. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, good God, David. This is what happens uh, when your heart gets broken. You know, you just want to, you know, I'm not you, but people in general. You just have a tough time staying on topic. And I can't b- say as I blame you, but what I will say is that John Cassavetes is a guy who yeah. I love him. He's one of my favorite filmmakers because his goals are so specific and he achieves them each and every film. I took a class on him and I was so happy that I did because I had not heard anything about him. I, I had only heard his name. Uh, and then and then I saw Shadows and uh, my personal favorite Faces. But then he, you know, he made one called uh, Husbands. And uh, those are the two Faces and Husbands are the two for me that I don't think I could revisit because they're two. They hit just too close. They're they're too realistic. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because he he has said that he, <laughs> the way he, uh, he in an interview he once said like, well, he goes, you know that moment when you and your friends are laughing at a joke. You know how, you know that moment when you've all said it one too many times and it's not as funny as it was. Just that one moment when all of you, there's kind of an unspoken thing that's like, oh, this fun thing is not as fun as it was. That moment of awkwardness is what he wants to capture with his films. Yeah, he wants <laughs> to live there. And he wants, yeah, exactly. And because he says that in those moments, your guard is down and there's vulnerability. And how do how does a person respond to all of a sudden 
showing that vulnerability. And, you know, it's it's basically trying to find the depth of who a person is, which is how they how they look when their guard is down and then how do they respond to the fact that their guard is down. And it's a it's a wonderful goal and it's and it's one that he does achieve and his films, you know, if you watch them once, I mean, you can attest to this. You watch them once, they're there's you're stuck with them. I mean, yeah. you're you will not forget them. But at the same time, they're incredibly hard to watch and you certainly don't want to revisit revisit them because they're just people it's a combination of all these things. It's people being who are often embarrassed they will say something bad or or just like oh no i shouldn't have said that but the but also it's people like neil abute who are constantly hurting each other you know usually as a function of defense they want to be you know the best defense is a good offense and so they'll go after each other and just and husbands especially because faces is more men and women doing bad things to each other husbands is just this this male competition kind of thing yeah where it's oh that's why i can't stand to watch it again because it's but it but that's the thing it's you know to go back to that quote the better it is at doing what it's trying to do the more unbearable it is you know and and i gotta and that's one of the reasons that i respect john cassavetes so much is because that's all he ever wanted to do yeah he had no expectation of making a great deal of money or making a lot you know he was nominated one of his movies uh, a woman under the influence which is a great movie uh that that was nominated for several oscars that year which is shocking uh but but yeah i mean he's just a he's a filmmaker who even if he didn't get you know uh praise from critics even if he didn't make any money he was always going to pursue this theme because it fascinated him so much and yeah and i respect uh, husbands has has affected me so much that if I'm hanging out with a bunch of guys and the top the top of conversation turns a little bit too guyish, <laughs> I'll just start to get uncomfortable because I'll be thinking of husbands. But um, yeah. well, we talked about a lot about movies that make us uncomfortable, you know, and 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 that's the reason we're not going to return to them. Yeah. Sometimes movies are just really slow and long, and like it'll be a while before I and I will someday because I bought the DVD. But the original Solaris. Oh yeah. Uh, even though it's. 15 to 20 times better than the little that Steven Soderbergh's like abortion of a movie that <laughs> was the remake which I happen to like but that's part that might be because I haven't seen the original um uh it it'll be a while before I watch it again because it's just really long and really slow moving yeah cuz it really there's nothing more that happens in the Russian film than yeah. that happens in Soderbergh's film. But it's, it's like exact, an hour longer. But it's, it's like twice as long. Yeah. <laughs> um, another one, and this is a great movie that I would recommend everyone watch. Everyone who really cares about uh, the possibilities <laughs> of, of film storytelling should watch at least once and then probably never watch again because it's it's four hours long. Okay. I can't remember the name of the filmmaker. I can't really remember the name of the film. It's... Uh, the woman's name it's a woman's name and address it's uh, G- her name is Jean Dealman okay or something like that and then it's her whole address the, all right the it has a very long title all right and essentially it takes place over the it's 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 4 hours it takes place over the course of 3 days yeah. and it feels it's just a series of static shots you know and okay. it, it 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 begins to feel e- it, even though it's 4 hours and it takes place over 3 days it begins to feel like it's taking place in real time uh, hmm. And it's so routine. Yeah. For the first two days, 
she barely varies her routine at all. She does. You basically see her go through the same thing yeah. twice in a row, and you're only two thirds of the way through the movie. And the third day, it's a little different, and because of the effect that it's had on you, the way you feel like you're living along with this woman, that <coughs> the thing that happens is just like earth-shatteringly shocking. Yeah, uh, it's an amazing movie. I recommend every. Like I said, I recommend everyone who. Re- I mean, everyone who really cares about film because it's not for the casual yeah. film goer. Obviously, I saw it at Doc Films in Chicago. Uh, okay, so I saw it. Uh, <laughs> well, that's something that that kind of thing actually. I am so fascinated by the mundane uh, of life, uh-huh. like just people, just like people talking and what they choose to talk about, and then like somebody just going through a completely boring job, but the realization that that is their entire life. Like I'm uh, that kind of thing, especially when put on film, fascinates me because it's just like it's the filmmaker. Some would say that that it's self indulgent, but to me, and it, I guess there's a way to do it in which it is, but. To me, it's just acknowledging that's like, you know what? Life sometimes is crazy ninjas and robots fighting each other. But like nine times, nine times out of ten, I'd say ten times out of ten, when you involve robots and ninjas, um, it's probably more mundane and just finding, you know, because I imagine when you watch the first, because I haven't seen the movie, but it seems to me like when you spend a long time just seeing what her routine is, any slight change in it is going to be almost almost jarring to you. And uh, it sounds really fascinating. And I would say, along these lines of movies that are just very slowly paced, um, there's a wonderful film uh, that Vim Vendors directed called uh, Paris, Texas. And uh, did you have you I've seen never it? Seen it. And it's written by Sam Shepard. Yeah. <laughs> so you know it's just going to be uh, you know uh, action packed. But <laughs> um, and a good portion of it is is silent, and it's just you know. Harry Dean Stanton walking along, uh, looking like he's been in the desert for 40 days. Um, and he's just, and it, but it's, of course, cinematically, it's gorgeous to look at. And then once the characters do start talking, um, it, it's really heartbreaking. But it's like a two and a half hour film. And it's just, it's very slow moving, uh, but in the best possible way. Um, it's very meditative. You know, th- this, a film about these characters who've gone through uh, very, you know, heartbreaking emotional trauma it shouldn't be fast you know they're him getting reacclimated to dealing with people who love him and that he loves that should be that should take a while that that isn't a movie even though it only even though you could argue that it only has an hour and a half's worth of content it's a movie that should be longer because this is not an easy process for him it's it's that's the way the movie needs to be that said, it's not an easy movie to revisit. It's like, at yeah. the very least, it's like, well, you know, who has two and a half hours at any given time to just sit down and watch a movie? But what's more is you need to kind of get yourself into a certain, <clears throat> into kind of a, once you've seen it, you know, you kind of need to get yourself into an emotional place and prepare to just slow down, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not something to casually watch on a Friday night, but. If you're, but you know, like like the movies you've been talking about. I mean, just once you're invested, yeah, it it pays off in spades once yeah. you're done. Um, I've been meaning to. We got to start wrapping up, okay. so I just want to quickly mention a couple other ones I wanted to wanted to get to. I've, I've been meaning to rewatch the Last Picture Show. Oh yeah, because uh, that's a big one for me that uh, really upset me the first time I saw it. Yeah. You know, um, uh, but it's really well made. Uh, another one is Irreversible, which I. 
and honestly, I've not seen it, but given what you told me about it, I don't know if I can see it. I yeah, I, I mean, the to. the sort of centerpiece <coughs> scene of the film, which is the one, like, long take of a rape scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's almost impossible to watch. And if there are other scenes of brutality in that movie that are difficult to watch. But the movie, A, uh, the movie is so affecting in the end, and B, I'm such a defender of it, because a lot yeah. of people hate that movie. Hmm. Um I often got into arguments about it with uh, that uh, that woman I used to be dating. Um, <laughs> uh, she she hated that movie, and, mm-hmm. and I and I'd often try to defend it. And I feel like maybe I should watch it again. I haven't yeah. seen it since it came out, you know, four or five years ago or whatever. And also, I mean, just having not having not seen the movie, I mean, you could make the argument that it's like, you know, if you're a woman, that movie might not be as uh you know easy to watch not that it's easy for you but like it might be so unbearable that you just like uh i hate that movie like you can't even look at it from a oh okay i i can respect it you can't even look at it from that because it's so realistic because that how because that scene is like what 15 minutes long i think it's like nine minutes okay it's 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 merely nine minutes tyler it's (laughs) it's not as bad as you think it is it's only nine minutes of rape all right right around minute 10 or 12 that's when i'm like (laughs) you know what this is too long nine minutes i can deal i can deal with that let's pop it in right now after the podcast is over um but uh yeah i mean there's plenty of movies that you know uh, one of my favorite movies of all time odd as it may sound is um (coughs) you're keeping us in suspense here with that it is it is uh, and then you have to stay tuned for part two of the (laughs) hobbit (laughs) it's uh todd browning's freaks which for obvious reasons is difficult to watch because it is you know he uses actual freaks human oddities i mean you know pinheads and and like you know people who have no arms and legs and you know it's just and it's it's difficult to watch you know and it's not you know you're not like passing judgment on on the freaks or anything like that it's just difficult to watch it's difficult to see you know and it's you know there are times where you're kind of disgusted and there are times when you want to start crying yeah you know that said he uses that that initial reaction and and you become endeared to these to these people and you see them as people and you see them as a family and by the end of it you know you, you're not disgusted or sad yeah you just you feel uh connected to them and it's a wonderful film but it's not one that you can it, so everybody should see it when we talk about things being disgusting what do you mean just in the sense like when you just see <coughs> like just the way somebody is discussed in the same way that like sometimes just the deformities of the elephant man are in a way disgusting. Yeah. But to me, I guess I have, and maybe this comes from having a, a nurse for a mom who would tell me yeah. all sorts of disgusting, bloody stories from when yeah. she used to work in an ER. Uh, like I was thinking just recently about that movie, the machinist. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff in that movie that is, you know, like the deformities or like the guy uh, gets his arm severed. Right. And, Christian Bale is just disgustingly skinny, yeah. but that doesn't bother me. So, like, yeah. I can w- and I can watch really gory movies and have it not bother me too much, unless I really care about the characters. Yeah, like the uh, Wolf Creek was that Australian movie. Yeah, uh, which you spend so long getting to know the characters and the things that happened to them are so awful that if it 
if it were just like Michael Myers doing the same things to people, yeah. it wouldn't upset me so much. So I I don't really get disgusted by just just gore or deformities or whatever on okay. its own. It, it has to be tied to a character that I care about. It sounds to me like I'm gonna have to lend you some, lend you freaks. Yeah, that's but one of those uh, ones that I'm ashamed to admit I haven't seen. Well, I mean, it's and it's it really is a wonderful movie because you really think. You know, you really think he's doing one thing. You really think he's using these for their scare and shock value because this mm-hmm. came out in the 30s. I mean, it, it's not something. It's first off, it's not a movie that could probably be made today. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, because and you think that he's using the appearance of these uh, of these people to horrify you, and he he uses that instinct and then turns you turns it on its head and by the end you're you care more for these people than the you know than the quote unquote normal people who are actually uh very uh bad people and uh, it's really a wonderful film and part of me I kind of want to be like well he did he did uh commit career suicide by making it so uh let's all watch it on principle yeah (laughs) uh but uh you know but what I will say here's I guess here's the note that I'll uh that I'll end on my favorite movie of all time is uh-huh. Citizen Kane. Yeah. But of my top ten, um, it's probably the one that I have seen the least, with the exception of Nashville, which only recently entered my top ten. But um and it's you know, and, and I don't I'm not really sure why, but I think it's you know, I think it's because it's kind of a combination of what we've been talking about. I mean, it's a bit slow moving at times. Um, it's characters doing things that you know or saying things that it's like oh I don't care for that you know and what's more is it's not shot in a realistic way I mean it's you know it's very you know expressionistic at times but the story is so unmistakably human just the story of not a guy who becomes blustery and over the top as he gets older but a guy who just becomes sad and pathetic mm-hmm. and lonely and it's that kind of thing where you're just like, oh right, not ev- you know, not everybody turns out like Daniel Plainview. Sometimes they just, you know, it doesn't, you know, their lives don't end with a great act of violence or craziness. It just ends with them just sad and sitting and just laying in bed, clutching a snow globe that <laughs> doesn't really actually maybe mean anything. And and it's really just uh, so I think. You know, being faced with that kind of reality is what is why I don't return to it very often. Um, but that doesn't, you know, and that's that's kind of why I was joking when we first got into the topic about people saying like, well, it's like, well, your favorite movie should be the one that you can watch over and over again. And it's like, well, I can watch it, but I, I don't I don't feel the need to and I don't really want to over and over. I don't. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, we I, I know we need to end. But what do you think? of the of this idea the idea that like it's like i don't you know you could watch funny games over and over again but you don't ever want to become not bored but just used to the ideas of yeah that's a good, that's a perfect way i mean uh, just of describing these kind of kind of movies if because I, you know what if i get to a point in my life where henry portrait of a serial killer doesn't upset me yeah then Something has gone wrong. Yeah, it's time to cash in your chips. <laughs> yeah, because uh, your life has run its course. You just happen to still be alive. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so uh, all right. Well, that's that's going to be our episode. Sorry for all the tangents that we went on. Um, 
Hopefully you found some of them to be uh, entertaining. Um, but uh, we will uh, we will get you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.